Y'all, we get to talk about food for the next eight weeks. And I am. <laughs> I, um, I think that if you were to look through, does anyone have family chat threads in text messages or group big family or friend chat threads? I, I probably am the one that texts the most in Larissa's family's um, text threads. And the majority of my texts are pictures of food. Um, and, and it literally will go like this. It will be, um, hey, guys, look, here's the meat coming out of the fridge. And then it'll be, and then the next picture will be like, hey, guys, look at all the seasoning that is on this meat. And then it'll be a picture of my barbecue. And then it'll be a picture of, like, hey, guys, look, it's an hour that the meat's been sitting in there. And then and it'll be like, hey, guys, look, six hours later, here's the picture of the meat that has been in my barbecue. And then it'll be... Like, here's just a picture of meat wrapped in foil. You really don't see anything, but you see the foil. And then it'll be a picture of the food and the food being carved and then the, my boys enjoying the food. And so far, no one has told me to stop it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to take that as an invitation that they enjoy it. Um, but I, I, I really, um, I do. I really, really enjoy the topic of food um, for me. Food is, is relationship. Um, food is community. Food is, is shared life. Um, I, I intentionally make more than what is needed. Um, and I love going to our neighbor's house and knocking on the door and saying, uh, here's a pound of pulled pork, um, because it's just fun to share with you. And, um, man, that has opened up, the, by the way, that has opened up the doors just for so much great friendship and dialogue with neighbors. Um, what we find in scriptures, listen, God is the original foodie. Um, he, he, he really is. I mean, you look over the pages of scripture, and what you'll see is um, that it's, it's his way that he demonstrates blessing. Um, you know, you're going to go into the land the promised land, what's going to be the marker of it? It's going to be the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Like, it's, it's food. It's Jesus' teaching tool so often that as he talks about what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God, so many of his go-to examples are food. And what made the people of Israel want to make him king? He fed them. Right? It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It was after that story. It was like, this man should be in charge. Um, you know, you look over it, and it's this, that, that he sets things up so that our, our faithfulness and our worship of him is demonstrated in our offerings. And what was the offerings that the people of God would bring? Food. It was food. And we can continue to go on and on, but what I want to do is I want to start in the beginning. In the beginning of the story starts in a garden. And what you see, even from the very beginning of the pages of Scripture, is that it starts around food. That the story starts, that, that God makes everything, and then it is, okay, here's the context that I want you to live in, I want you to flourish, and I want you to flourish in a garden. Um, here's the understanding of scriptures. We've talked about this before. When you, it'll come up on the screen. When you look over the creation account, what you'll see is this, this listing after each day. And it says, an evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And then it'll repeat, marking the second day, marking the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. 
but then you don't see that description take place for the seventh day. And as, and as people have, Bible students and theologians have looked over the creation account, Genesis 1, and then turning the page into Genesis 2, what it tells us is that the seventh day didn't end. That there wasn't a sun that set on the seventh day. And so the understanding then that we have is that the Sabbath becomes the ideal, becomes the culmination and the climax of creation, that now humanity lives in a Sabbath context. And so this is where I brought up, you have a quote on the screen there from Tim Mackey. It says, Sabbath is God's personal presence and divine rule entering into and filling up all creation. This is, the, this is the concept of Sabbath, is that God now rules over all of creation and he's filling creation with his divine rule and personal presence. And then, this, and then he takes humanity and he puts them in a garden and he says, this, this is how we're going to relate with one another. You are going to, to tend to the garden and you're going to and you're going to live in this Sabbath delight perpetually. So here's the other idea behind Sabbath. Um, theologians said it this way. It'll come up on the screen. Norm, Norm, uh, Norman Wurzba, he says this, God's rest has nothing to do with fatigue, as if God could become tired of creative work. Rather, it has to do with the intense joy and peace, the supreme delight and contentment that followed from God's life-giving work. When people think of Sabbath, they tend to think in terms of exhaustion. Rest is a break, the time to escape from the harried pace of life. For God, however, rest is best understood as God's complete entrance into life and God's availability to and joy in the beauty and goodness that is there. God rests because there is no other place God would rather be. There simply is no other place worth going to. And so it's, it's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath rest. And it's in that context he places humanity in a garden. He says, okay, this is the model of living. This is the place that I want us to reside in. And what's beautiful is that you understand it this way, is that the Garden, the garden of Eden is, is a temple. It's actually framed for us in kind of temple language. And so what's happening here is that the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, Eden means delight or pleasure, that this is the place that heaven and earth are perfectly married together. And, and now, like, like holy priests and kings and queens over creation, this is where humanity delights and rests and plays and, and relates with one another. This is their sacred work. This is what their sacred living looks like. And Dan, can you talk, can you just say, what a great first job. I don't know about you, whatever your first job might have been. My first job was washing semi-trucks. Getting up at 5 a.m., being dropped off in, in downtown L.A. or in the fringes of L.A. and just washing fleets of semi-trucks. That was my first job. But when you read through the first job given to men and to women, to humanity, it was tend to a garden. 
tend, tend to this garden. Watch it. It was, it was all, and it was in the language of, of fruit, like be fruitful and multiply. This is where, this is, this is what life looks like. This is, this is what it looks, this is the good life, is that you'll just be in this place, and the language of scripture is that, is, is that, that we tend to this garden, and we watch over it, and, and we are, and it's this picture that we are sustained by God, we're, we're, live in a place called to, called delight, we work with, in partnership with God in tending to a garden, he strolls through the garden in the cool of the, the evening, like this is a place of peace and joy. It is a place of provision and abundance. It is a place of togetherness with one another and with God. And food is right there in the center of it all. Our life thoroughly lived out in the context and language of food. That this is what it is to partake, to enjoy, to delight in the presence of God. And food has this constant place in Adam and Eve's life, reminding them that their lives are interwoven with God, that food becomes the tangible expression of God's love and provision. Uh, in a great book that I absolutely recommend to you called A Meal with Jesus, written by Tim Chester, he says this in there, God made the world so we might eat with him. Does that sound great? And I think that it introduces to us a picture of God that is, is delightful. It gives us insight into his character and his nature. The imagery is that we perpetually live in this place of rest and delight. Life is filled with adventure and peace. It is not strenuous. It is a gift. We didn't earn this. We are here because God enjoys us, is overjoyed to be present with us, and it's all framed in the language of Sabbath. It's holy, it's beautiful, it's sacred, it's fun, it's peaceful. God and humanity enjoying this togetherness, and we live as a reflection of God's intention for creation. But then there's the fall. The way that things currently work is humanity trusts in God's instructions and intentions. Their life in the garden has this constant love and surrender and trust baked into it. They tend to a, to a garden as an act of partnership and worship. And as they choose to not eat the fruit, they are approaching life according to God's wisdom. Life is lived through God's understanding and perspective. They willingly accept this limit placed on them that their lives in the garden must be done so according to their connection with God. Yes, we're made in God's image, but we aren't God. We aren't self-sustaining. We rely on his provision. But then there's this interaction with the snake that takes place there in the Garden of Eden. And you can read through it. So the serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the human, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. 
to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Here's potentially what the thought process is that's taking place in this moment. That humanity is, is convinced that maybe there is this lifestyle where we don't have to trust God, where all of our living doesn't have to be tied to him, but there can be a separateness that begins to happen. There's going to be a disconnect there now where we can navigate, we can navigate the garden without the limits placed on us. We can live life without limits. We can have answers all by ourselves. We can control the parameters of things. We'll have the smarts to do what we want. We will have all of the insights. I love the way that another theologian stated it. It's, it's, it's this way. It'll come up on the screen. It says, the world was given to man by God as food, as means of life. Yet life was meant to be communion with God. Had, it had not only its end, but its full content in him. The unfathomable tragedy of Adam was that he ate for his own sake. More than that, he ate apart from God in order to be independent of him, to have life in himself. We ate apart from God. And what you see here take place is, is that the culmination and the ideal of creation is Sabbath. It's rest and it's delight. And then when you read the curse that happens because of the fall, these are the words that you read. And to the man, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. And so the blessing, the ideal, the Sabbath rest is delight. It's not strenuous. And the curse is struggle and sweat. And this is what life looks like under our control. We've abandoned the author of life under the delusion that we could do this on our own. And the picture of us being under control is that it's difficult to produce food. That's the picture. You're going to try to extract life from the earth, and as you do so, it's going to kill you. And this is the place that we find ourselves. We navigate food shortages. That we, we, years ago, we did a, um, we did a volunteer uh, appreciation dinner, and we brought a taco person in, and it was great, and it was wonderful. And then the next couple of days, we got all of these notifications from people and questions and just saying, are you feeling sick at all? 
And it was, I, was meant to do, I was meant to officiate a wedding that weekend, the wedding of Danny and Laura Clem. And man, I was breathing heavy. I was, I, w- I, was, I was at the barber shop getting ready for the wedding. I'm sitting in the chair. And then as I'm sitting there, hair half cut, all of a sudden I just look at the barber and I just tell her, I got to get up. And I just pace the parking lot and come back in, sit down, and say, okay, we got to finish. She finishes my haircut, and then we just found out that there was bad nopales, bad cactus salsa, at the volunteer dinner that we hosted. In the world that we live in today, we discover food can kill you. (laughs) We live with bad nopales now. We live with anxiousness. We're not at rest. We're not calm. We're not present. We're constantly scratching at the earth, trying to produce more and more. We consume and we consume looking for delight. And we treat the world as a possession and not as a gift. This is what life looks like now. Because we thought we can eat apart from God. But friends, we have hope. The constant imagery in Scripture of God's restoration is the gift of food. The promised land is flowing with milk and honey. The height of King Solomon's reign is that each house has their own vines and fig trees. The return of the prodigal son is celebrated over a great feast. Jesus' final demonstration and explanation of his love is over a meal. God is constantly now using the language and the context of food to say, you have hope. And in me, there is abundance. There is delight. Meals, banquets, feasts are all ways to capture in the pages of Scripture, we can have that Garden of Eden relationship with again. We can be in a place of perpetual delight and rest with God. Creation can be redeemed and restored. We can go to a night of dessert and say, it is good. Because of Jesus, he becomes our hope. And he demonstrates that hope to us in a meal. This is how you have hope. I love it. In, in, in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, it creates this understanding that now permeates the rest of Scripture, and it's the language of a messianic banquet. It'll come up on the screen. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, it says this, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears. He will remove forever the insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. And it's this language that then in the book of Revelation, John brings forward for us an understanding that we will have a great feast. This is what it is for God to completely redeem and restore all of creation. What is the picture? We will sit around a table with God. We will once again be sustained and provided for. 
we will once again find a togetherness with him. We will no longer eat apart from God. In Isaiah chapter 27, there's other language of food that, brings, that gets brought forward. It'll come up on the screen. It's maybe hard to read because it's a little bit smaller, but it says, In that day, sing about the fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, will watch over it, watering it carefully. Day and night I will watch so no one can harm it. My anger will be gone. If I find briars and thorns growing, I will attack them. What was the language of the curse? There's going to be thorns and thistles as you're trying to get your food. And now the Lord's coming and saying, nope, I'm taking the garden back over. I'm coming in now. And I will personally wage war against those thorns and thistles. I will personally push those back for you. Listen, I mean, he keeps going. Unless they turn, I will burn them up unless they turn to me for help. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. The time is coming when Jacob's descendants will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the whole earth with fruit. The promise to us is that we won't have to scratch at the earth anymore. We won't constantly have to just be in this perpetual place of, of, of striving and working and, and just getting just a little bit out of the earth. And it's this picture of saying, I, I'm going to provide for you again with abundance. Like that line there of saying, I, like, the Lord will watch over it, watering it carefully. What's the language of the Garden of Eden? What do you see described there as, as this, this, this garden is described? It's, it talks about this spring that rises up from the ground and waters the fruit. That was, that was the understanding. Like their job was literally, they came into a space where the trees were watered by themselves and the trees produced the fruit all by themselves. Like that's the, that's the work that they had to do. It was easy. It wasn't strenuous. It was done in delight. And God's coming and saying, I'm going to water the earth again. I'm going to water the earth again. God is the gardener again. And let's, so let's circle back to Sabbath. We'll... we'll somewhat wrap up. As I say wrap up, I know it's going to probably be about five, seven more minutes, but Sabbath is a foretaste of eternal life. Friends, every week you are invited to live for a moment getting a foretaste of that great banquet where God again is the gardener. A day in our week to stop and to savor, to delight in the presence of God. A day to be reminded, I didn't earn this. God is the one who sustains me. My rest is not a reward for a job well done. It's not because I have all things in order. It's not because the tasks are all finished. It is a place to remember God is my joy and my salvation. He is the location of my delight and peace. It is a day to celebrate and remember that one day we'll be back in that garden ideal. And my motivation for this morning's message is and launch into this sermon series is simply this. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to grow in your understanding that the Lord is to be delighted in, to learn to cease the frantic doing and to remember that you aren't loved because you have accomplished 
that you can give up control and that you can stop believing that you are the one that sustains your life. You can stop navigating life from the perspective, your own perspective of what is good and evil. So this week, my encouragement to you is simply this, Sabbath. Find a day this week. And if that may be really difficult to find a day this week, because you're, I mean, you've probably already planned your week ahead, find a moment of time. Find a chunk of time this week and rest and savor and delight. Slow down and just sit with Jesus. Just be present with him. The, the day, the Sabbath day, the Shabbat always has preparation before it, right? What you'll, what you'll find is if you're in Israel on Friday afternoon, there is scrambling that's taking place. And when sunset happens, it stops. And so what it reminds us is no one Sabbaths accidentally. It, it doesn't happen on accident. But there's preparation that takes place. There's intentionality that happens. And there's this place of saying, I am going to intentionally carve out some time and I'm going to sit in a day where I can just be reminded that, that the seventh day of creation, that's the ideal. And one day out of the week, I get to taste that. One day out of the week, I get to enjoy that. Last week, because of it doesn't happen, it hardly happens, um, but Lurus and I's Sabbath had some stuff that we couldn't, avoid scheduling and so we had some things that got filled into our sabbath and can i tell you this past week because of that man wednesday and thursday we were looking at each other and going i cannot wait i cannot wait for sabbath i was there was it was a hunger it was a craving deep inside of us that said we have got to get to that day because it's just, it's become part of our rhythm. It's become part of our life where we just, where we have this time where we're present with one another. And, and a lot of times we purposely have really good food that we don't make on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath rest, for me, does not include dishes. Right? And so, and maybe, and sometimes it is, the preparation is I will put, some carnitas in the crock pot the day before and i can go into the fridge and i can pull that out and we can then have carnitas or maybe it is we go out to lunch together we have a brunch with one another we we just sit and we enjoy and we savor the day and we we, we intentionally ask the question like how can we enjoy god's presence today how can we be reminded of his goodness there's resources on on the front page of our website. Um, actually, if you go to faithsandiego.org, there's two things that I'd want you um, to notice. One is um, you're going to see a listing of, of groups um, that are launching, and I'm going to go on to that slide in, in a little bit. And the other thing that you'll notice is there's a resource tab, and I think the second tab down from there, so it says resources, first one is sermons, and the second one is um, discussion questions for week one. And in that, on that resource, you will find the practice of Sabbath listed out for you. 
Um, and it's just a lot of it's suggestions. You'll see, even see on the very bottom, it says Sabbath isn't filled with shoulds. Um, it's, or it isn't filled with you oughts. It's just filled with maybes. <laughs> like, try this. Um, and so you'll see an explanation there, and you'll also see a list of questions for those of you that might be joining a table group this week. Um, and I also will say this could, that resource is something that you could sit at um, and talk about over breakfast with someone, have coffee with someone. It doesn't have to be in the formal table group that you discuss these things with, but I would just encourage you to read through it. There's some discussion questions there about Sabbath. Um, there's some ideas about what you can do or what, what would be available to you, practices that the church commonly does um, during Sabbath. Uh, so I'm going to go to the next slide, and what you'll see is these are the different groups that are happening this fall. Um, I know it's hard to read, but that's why I said on the front page of our website, faithsandiego.org, um, under the Connect tab, you'll see fall groups 2022 listed. Um, the top row there are just more uh, connection groups that are taking place. Uh, Monday basketball, that's with me. Um, we're not good at basketball, but we try. Um, Soul Food is a uh, Wednesday women's, um, it's a morning um, Bible study that they uh, connect with one another. It was mentioned earlier, a book study that's happening, a book, Everything Sad is Untrue. What's really fun is that that book, so, of it, so much of it talks about food. Um, so it's a really fun connection there, food and poop, um, because it's written from a 12-year-old's perspective. And uh, then you'll see on the bottom row some different groups that are happening, some table groups. Um, that are there. If you're in the room and you're hosting a table group, could you stand up for a quick second? The Clems are away this weekend, enjoying and delighting um, this weekend. But you'll see the Pipkins have a Thursday night group in Sarah Mesa. The Dons have a, a table group that's taking place in Kearney Mesa. The Soderlins are down in Point Loma, going to be taking a walk together and hanging out in, in God's greenery. And then the Clems are in Tierra Santa, and um, that's a Friday night group. These, uh, will, these people will be available to you after service. They'll be sitting at their tables or at the women's table um, over there up against the wall. Connect with them. Um, let them know you'd be interested in joining their group. Um, yeah, and just have an opportunity to connect with one another. You can have a seat if you'd like. All right, so we're going to move to our tables. We're going to move back to our tables. And the two things that we're going to do are um, break bread together. Um, we're we're going to break bread every single week of every Sunday of this sermon series. Um, it's to be reminded again that the Lord communicates his goodness and his saving act to us over a meal. Um, so if you go to the, the next slide, and here's typically how I, how I do this, um, is read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. That is wrong. Um, excuse me, 11.16 to 23. Nope. 11.23 through 26. 11.23 through 26. If someone at the table would like to read that. And then typically what I'll say as I'm passing the bread and the cup to others is I'll say the body of Jesus broken for you, the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then you can take a piece of bread and you can dip it into the cup. Um, for those of you that would like a gluten-free option, we do have those uh, cups there. After you take time to do that, then you can open up 
uh, to conversation with one another. And the question's really simple. Like, what is a practice you could do to make the Sabbath special, delightful for you? What's something that would be life-giving to do, would be restful and joyful to do? And then even ask, if, how about your spouse? If you're married, um, what about if your kids, uh, for your kids, if you're a parent? So let's take some time sitting around the table. Actually, before, let's stop. Let's stop. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, um, we're going to dialogue together a little bit. Um, we'll write out the response to our questions, um, but let me speak a blessing over you because then after our table time together, we'll dismiss. We'll pick up our kids. We will not forget them um, as they're downstairs hanging out together, enjoying donut holes. Um, but for those of you that are watching online, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's enter into dialogue with one another.